0: Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Hope that you're doing well wherever you are in the world today. Very excited to be joined with my guest and friend, speaker and author, Netta Nasserdine. My friend, how are you? What is happening in your world today? I'm
3: amazing. Thank you so much for having me today.
0: Yeah, it's an honor. Been looking forward to connecting with you. Thank you. We've had the the privilege of speaking together on stage before and just moved and kind of blown away by your power. And we're gonna get into that and Thank talk you. about that a little bit in depth. But before we do. What is something that I need to know so that I can know who you are?
1: Mm. Uh,
3: There's a lot there. (laughs) But I would say one thing that's probably really important that's defined who I am today is uh, losing both of my parents by the time I was 31. It really shaped my mindset and my mentality towards life. And I can go deeper if you want.
0: Yeah. What does that mean? We have time.
3: Yeah. So... Uh, I'm I'm very fortunate in that the first half of my life up to this point, um, it was very white picket fence, which I know was like the opposite of kind of what you went through. And I had two amazing parents that came you know, from a third world country and they somehow knew and understood that the number one thing that my brothers and I needed was self-love and self-confidence. So our whole life, they taught us that. Um, we had a great quality relationship with both of our parents, but unexpectedly we lost our dad when I was 27. And that was like the first time ever in my life, uh, I like had trauma or felt something Mm. so deeply like profound inside. I didn't really know how to process it. It was the first thing in my life that was, that made such an impact in a painful way. The first funeral I ever went to was my dad's. And then a couple years later, I lost my mom when I was 31. Uh, both of them died when they were 62, 63 years old. And it really shifted my perspective on life. Like, why are we here? What's the purpose? At the time, I was a corporate executive, you know? So anyone that's been in that space, like, you know, you're constantly working and grinding 12 hours a day, and it's all great. Like, I loved it, but it really shifted my mindset on what does it mean to build a life that you're proud of? My parents, worked their whole life to reach retirement and they never got there. Mm. Um, And so that really shifted me. The two most important people in my life passed, you know, before my brothers and I, even before I built the company, before we got married, before we had kids. And so that, that really changed me a lot.
0: Yeah. Death will do that. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things that, and I think about this probably every single day of my life. It's like, if you can change your relationship with time and death, like you can change your life. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, part of it is like, it's just going to get handed to you because we don't get to control this. No, Right. And, you know, all of us would love for our parents and our friends and our family and our partners to live healthy, long lives. But obviously that's not the case. Yes. hundred percent. When you talk about shift, because here's the reality, like that's it's not uncommon that people have that. And and yeah. a single loss can be such a traumatic ex- experience. Like, I've coached people where it's kept them trapped for 25 years. Yes. Right? Fear has overtaken them. They become ostracized. They put themselves... 100%. They don't do social things. They disappear from the world. What was it like for you?
3: You know, it was... It's, it's interesting because they were so inspiring and amazing the first half of my life, I had nothing but gratitude. Like I Mm -hmm. had pain, but at the same time, I understood that, like you said, I can't, this is one thing I cannot control. You know, everyone passes away. We can't control when they pass away. And so I constantly needed to shift myself towards a mindset of gratitude that I'm just lucky that I had the quality of parents that I had. Did I want more quantity? Of course, but I didn't want my pain to go to waste. So losing my parents, it was like the thing that came into my mind is I'll be if their loss is going to go to waste, like I'm going to use that pain and the best of what they left my brothers and I to build something and grow something. And I was also going through the divorce at the same time when I lost my mom. I built my company out of a hospital. So I was like, I was going through a divorce and losing my mom who was sick. And I was building Rise Up For You at the same time and like taking showers at the gym across the street and running back. And so like, I really got my butt kicked, but it was just a really great sign of gratitude. And like, where can I go from here? And I think you're right. There's a lot of individuals unfortunately that they go through this breaking and they stay there right like they they never really grow from it they might maintain but a lot of individuals don't take that pain and then say like now how can I make myself better and truly make an impact in the world and I just refuse to do that I was like no I got to do something with this
0: yeah was that every day
3: no (laughs) <laughs> of course not. <laughs> there is definitely times. I mean, when I lost my mom, I went through like a depression like the first year. I was sleeping long hours like I you know, had to really process what I had been through and unfortunately she had a traumatic passing. She had cancer and it just mm-hmm. it was just freaking brutal. Like anyone that has lost somebody to cancer and you're there supporting them and helping them, the impact is it's traumatic and it was for me. So, you know, with my mom losing her, but then also processing like the day to day challenges that we went through when she was sick. It took me a long time to even like have happy, like, you know, have happiness again. I would wake up and all I would have were nightmares and dreams about it. And it took me a long time to reconcile. I had a different connection with my dad. So when he passed, I didn't have that same feeling like I had peace when he passed. You know, mm-hmm. with her, I didn't because I felt sad with how she passed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, again, we don't get any say in that. No. And, and it's fascinating to me that you're in this position of seeking gratitude in this. Yeah. You know, one of the the alarms on my phone that goes off like five times a day just says, say, thank you.
3: Yes. You
0: know, how important it is to remind ourselves of gratitude and it's hard to get like, I, I think about it a lot. I, I mean, I experienced death for the first time when I was like seven years old. And mm-hmm. then growing up in the environment, I did losing my three best friends, losing my mother, my grandmother, all to drugs, alcohol, you know, all the things that sure. people step into to be avoidant of life. Yeah. Right. And and am like, the reality is I probably wasn't very far from that either. That's how I hit rock bottom at 25, 26 years old.
3: Yeah.
0: And. And it was really kind of not only gratitude, but something you said that was important that I I think people don't utilize enough. And it's like, you have to push yourself through. Yeah. You know, here you are. And look, no one can take this around from you. You have every right in the world to not show up, to disappear, to be in the sweats and eat ice cream all day long, all of the things. And yet, despite losing your mother, going through a divorce simultaneously, you made a decision like, I'm going to build something going to rise up.
3: Yeah. And I think it's important to process. I never want people to think that they need to be a robot and be like, I just got to get through it. You have to process, but you can't stay there forever. You know what I mean? And I think that that's the decision that we need to make as individuals is like when we're going through these tough times, how long are we going to sit there? You got to process, you got to talk it out. You know, hopefully you have good people and a community around you. But then use that to drive you forward instead of just staying there. And I think this is something that I see with potential as well, because, you know, we talk a lot about potential and, you know, trying to reach your potential consistently. And, you know, sometimes people wait for the breaking before they realize that, you know, and one thing that I think about a lot that I'm actively trying to, I guess, find this. I don't want to say the solution, but find, you know, some some key steps for is how do we help individuals that maybe haven't gone through this kind of like trauma or difficulty to move forward when everything's cool, when everything is okay, you know? And I think that that's something to think about as well.
0: Yeah, I've I've contemplated that a lot over the years. I mean, mm-hmm. anyone who's been in your seat or online with me over the years that I've asked this question, we all kind of get to the same conclusion. I, I don't think you can yeah. change your life until something like junts you off the bridge and you're like falling and you're like
3: yeah right <laughs> sink <laughs> or swim <laughs> yeah
0: what what was processing like for you
3: writing the book was a big part of it you know so i i wrote the book rise up for you closing the gap between you and your potential that took me two and a half years to write it took me about a year to get through the chapter where i talk about my mom you Why? know just like again it was it was really difficult with how she passed and I couldn't accept, for the first year, I couldn't accept how she passed. Mm. I think, you know, people, I don't think people are afraid of dying. I think people are afraid of how they will die, right? You know, you know how, are you going to just not wake up one morning? You know, are you going to die in your sleep? Or are you going to get sick, God forbid? And so for me, it took me a long time to just accept how she passed. Um, And from my perspective, she suffered. And that that was hard for me to reconcile that she suffered and she didn't deserve that because she was such an amazing person. Um, So, you know, when I was writing the book and I'm very authentic in the book, you know, I do put some strong detail in there because I think as a culture, sometimes we're afraid to just like talk openly about death. We're afraid to talk openly about death, about divorce, about, you know, trauma that we've had in our life. And so a lot of people just hold on to it. So I made it a really big point in the book to, know, take step by step about some of the things that happened when she passed and, you know, how difficult it was. And that was hard for me to get out. Like, I remember, like, writing a couple paragraphs on the plane and then I would start crying and I'm like, I had to put this away for a little bit because it just kept coming out.
0: Yeah. What was that like? Like, if you went to it, like, because those moments, I think people... You know, i remember i was i was sitting in the um the care center when my grandmother was dying of dementia and you know all truth when i look at her experience i i, I always remind myself like she and it breaks my heart to say it but it's just true she put herself in that situation the drugs the alcohol the cigarette this woman Smoke cigarettes (laughs) on an oxygen machine, you know, and I walked and I watched her suffer. And on some of those days, it was like I would walk into that hospital until I couldn't anymore. Right. It was just and, and I was young. I was like 23, 24. And I would walk in there and I would look at her and she would no recollection of who I was outside of like these very minute gleaming moments. And there was a lot of tension unresolved between her and I when she died just because of her being a bit racist, me sure. being biracial, but also her raising me, which is really complicated. And, and eventually I just had, I could not go anymore. Right. Even to this day, I don't say I regret it. I had to do what I had to do, Sure, but I, I remember those moments and just loss is so devastating because we don't, as much as we're like, I wish I could solve this. I wish I could fix this problem. We don't get that say. No. And you talked about reconciliation, right? And trying to reconcile the fact that your mother was this incredible person who in your eyes suffered. Have you reconciled that?
3: No, I don't think I have. Uh, I've definitely gotten better. But there's a again, there's just a pain there with how she passed that I don't know if I'll ever. uh reconcile with how she passed i think what makes it difficult is sometimes when people are sick they accept it right and they accept that they're going to pass she didn't Mm. so up until the day she passed she didn't want to she didn't want to die she didn't want to lose her life um You know, we watch these movies where someone's sick and they're like, just let me go, you know, like (laughs)
1: totally
3: like it's my time. Like that wasn't her experience because she was young and she was healthy and, you know, she she lived a good life, but she just wasn't ready. Mm. And up until the day she passed, she was not ready. She couldn't she couldn't reconcile it. And so I couldn't reconcile it either, and how she happened, and there was just like also a lot of challenges with the medical system, which we're not going to dive into here. Yeah. But lots of mistakes that happened, um, lots of statements about you know you're going to survive, you did it, you made it, and then a week later you're terminal. So it was also sort of a very difficult time emotionally because there was mixed signals from the medical institution. So one day she was surviving and she beat it. And then the next day it was like, it's all over your body, your terminal. Mm. So there were some challenges along the way. And uh, I think I've reconciled it to the best of my ability at this point. You know, and I guess I can tell by the dreams that I have. For years, all of my dreams with my mom were her sick. And I'm finally having dreams where it's her again.
0: It's really beautiful. Yeah. I think about how we often leverage like those last moments as our final memories of those people. Yeah. And it's like, we tend to forget where the good things were, where Uh. the amazing moments were, where the lessons were, where the the experiences of like, wait a second, they're not sick. They're not in the hospital. They're not in this. And so I'm curious, like, what's, what's your favorite memory with your mother?
3: During that time or just in general?
0: And your whole life.
3: My mom, you know, I have a lot, but the thing that I can... Say, I really appreciate about my mom is she was a disruptor. And I didn't realize until I was older like, my mom was a Middle Eastern woman, 100% Lebanese, who, when she was young, she wanted to be a model. So she would like sneak out of the house and she's Miss Pennsylvania. And like, my grandma didn't know because, like in the Arab culture in the 70s, walking on stage in a bathing suit was just not acceptable. And she was that person. So she would sneak out and then she would go compete in Pennsylvania. She became Miss Pennsylvania. And so she she walked her walk and she did her thing. And that's what I remember about my mom is even though, you know, we come from an amazing culture, she just did things her own way. And she taught me to do that. So when I was growing up, I wanted to be a singer. You know, and my dad's like, what are you doing? Go be a doctor, lawyer. And, you know, anyone that's a part of that culture understands that. Right. And my mom would be like, "Just go go sing, go do it. You could do it. You know, and she constantly she just let me do my thing. And I did. You know, my first career I ever had, I was a performer. I toured the world as a singer. And my dad was like, Why don't you go get a PhD and become a doctor? And I'm like, Real job. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, I'm getting my degree in vocal performance. He's like, What? And my mom's like, Good job. You know, so my favorite memories were the fact that she was really good at tuning out like the noise around her in society and culture. And she just did her thing and she taught my brothers and I to do that as well. And that's what I loved about her.
0: It's such a great lesson because we get so indoctrinated into mm-hmm. what society tells us who we should be. Yes. And then you're faced with what I would consider to be a probably a really difficult juxtaposition of here's your mother who's like, go for it. And your father's like, What are you doing? Yeah. How yeah. how did you navigate that?
3: Yeah. Well, my father was also very empowering too. He just wanted us to take the more traditional way. Mm but meaning like he, you know, he saw that we, I had good grades. So he's like, go do something that's going to make you a lot of money. Right. And their eyes. And he was from a third world country. He came here with $20 in his pocket. He had three jobs. He struggled and he didn't want us to. And I don't think he could see that music could make any money. Right. He's like, what are you doing? And I got straight A's and I was a good student. But, you know, a lot of times people ask me like, oh, you come from a Middle Eastern background. I'm like, I don't come from a family or a culture where, you know, the father figure, my dad, he was also very empowering. He taught my brothers and I to have confidence. And I would say he's the one that really forced us to understand our potential. Mm. I mean, I would come home with an A minus. I talk about this in the book. And he'd be like, why don't you have an A plus? I'm thinking, A minus is pretty good, dad. He's like, but can you get the A plus? yeah so if you could reach this why did you sell yourself short not for me not for your teacher but for you and he was really he was really great at that so i had my dad who was pushing us to reach our potential and then i had our mom who was like affirming us to just be our best self and be true to us and the combination was just freaking amazing
0: how did your father teach you how to find confidence
3: I think it was through questioning. It it was through questioning and it was through always pushing us a little bit more, challenging us. So again, like when I had the A-minus, can you do this? Not for me, but for you. Do you think you can? Yes. Okay, what do you have to do to get there? And also just through questions. I, you know, every time I asked a question, he was like, you tell me, what do you think? And he always, even growing up, even with teachers, was like, I need you to know that nobody is better than you and you're not better than anybody else, period. And every day he was like, you're not better than anyone else and no one's better than you. I don't care if they're the teacher. I don't care who they are. People are people and you need to be respected and you need to respect as well. So that creates, I mean, think about it today, especially when it comes to self-confidence, a lot of times individuals struggle because they want to be liked or they want approval, or they want validation, or they want a people please. And because he taught us that we're all the same and we just need to prove it to ourselves, like that concept of I need to be validated by that person, or I need to please that person, it never existed for my brothers and yeah. I.
0: That's powerful. Yeah. That that was a struggle that I had to work through for a very long time. Yeah. Growing up and looking at the the world through an opposite lens and hearing my own parents say you're not good enough, you don't matter, you're a yeah. loser, that gets reinforced in school. And and I found I found confidence literally through the same way that you just laid out, just on a different timeline, sure. right? And so when I found myself in my my 20s after hitting this rock bottom, it was just like how hard can I push myself? Like what can I really do? Mm-hmm. And and this is a, a weird thing to understand until you understand it. And I think this may apply for probably most human beings. I was like I'm weak. And what weakness felt like for me was not standing up for myself, not showing up, not rising up, doing all the other things for all the other people except for the things for me for that you. I know that I needed to do. Yeah. And it was like massive codependence and partying with people who could give two that I existed and like doing whatever. If you liked me for 10 seconds, I would do everything for you. Right. And so finding confidence really is about that. Like recognizing we are all people. Nobody is better than anyone else. No one is above you, even though we like to think that they are. That's like a mind game we have to stop sure. playing with ourselves. 100%. And, and I think the only way you get through that and you navigate it is like you have to do hard. Sh- you have to do hard. Sh- and that hard shit is like your dreams. Yes. Like it's the thing that keeps you awake at night. And people are so scared because of the fear of failure, the fear of judgment, the fear of shame, like things we talk about all the time. And I just constantly come back. I'm like, you're going to f- up anyway. You're going to suck all the time at new stuff. And people are like, I want to be proficient before I show up. And it's like, I remember that you'll appreciate this guy as a speaker. That the first time I did any event on my own, two people came.
3: Yeah, 100%. Oh, my God. I had you one. <laughs> I was like, we're going to do it.
0: You know what? I'm <laughs> like, fuck it. Let's go. The first time I coached people, like, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. You know, I probably still don't. I'm like, I even tell people all the time, I would not listen to me if I were you. Uh, But, you know, it's so much of that is like, what are you willing to do to create this life, this thing that you want? But there's roadblocks, there's death. And then, as you mentioned, divorce. And it's like those things cripple people, especially divorce. I I heard somebody say something really interesting the other day. And they said, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy.
3: It's tough. It is tough because there's trust there. Or uh, there's love there, Uh, you know, and especially if there's like betrayal or abuse or things in a relationship, uh, it can really crush an individual. And I know for me, that was the first time that I felt a little unconfident. Mm. I was like, is that true? Am I like not a good woman? Am I not enough? Like I started to have these thoughts in my head that I never, ever had before in my life. I started to question like do I bring value to this person you know and that can really destroy somebody especially if they've heard that narrative before because now you're validating that narrative by somebody that you've given your heart to right that you've opened up to and you know it's interesting because along with like building a business right or taking a leap in career I would say just working with clients and experiences that romantic relationships is one of the biggest confidence crushers. 100%. It's one of the biggest confidence crushers. I mean, because again, there's a vulnerability there. There's a different different, uh, chemical like reaction, obviously, when you're intimate with somebody versus your family. And there's trust there. There's protection. There's a lot of things that are sacred in a romantic relationship. And when that doesn't work you can't reconcile why. It, it takes a long time to understand. That was the first time for me that I, again, I questioned like myself as a woman. I'm like, am I not a good person or do I not add value? Am, am I not lovable? What's happening? But because of my parents' love, I quickly got out of that mindset where I was like, mm, no, I don't, I don't think that's the case. Maybe it's just, maybe it's not about me. Right. Maybe it's uh, a projection of trauma. Maybe it's, you know, and my dad came to me in my dream. I remember when I went through the divorce, I was only married for one month. That's it. And I, as I mentioned, I was an executive at the time and I resigned from the company, uh, got rid of all my stuff, got rid of my job, everything. And I moved out of the country with two luggage. That was it. And within a month, you know, it was like, I don't want to be married anymore. And mm. I remember thinking, what? What are you talking about? How do, What do you mean? Long story short, I got on a plane after a month and I only had two luggage and $100. That's it. I basically lost everything. And I remember getting on that plane and crying and bawling, feeling betrayed. Like, how does, you know, someone that you deeply love get feeling abandoned? And my dad came to me. I, I don't even know. It was just God in the universe. He came to me in my dream because he had passed away before that. And he said, "Netta, everything you need is already inside of you. You just have to rise up for you. And that's where the company came from. That's where the name came from, Mm. is being on that airplane and sleeping. And my dad saying, rise up for you. And I came back from, you know, out of the country, came to California. I was like, all right, rise up for you. Uh, That's all I can do. No one's going to knock on the door. And mend my heart, give me my job back because I already, you know, filled my spot. Give me my money back. None of that's going to happen. So what are you going to do with it? So I just started building Rise Up for you. And like you said, I never built a business. I wasn't an entrepreneur five years ago. I didn't even know who Tony Robbins was. Like this industry that you and I are in. I'm like, what is that? What's coaching? I've never heard of that in my life. And I just started building and started growing and started, you know, researching how I can make an impact in the world and contribute. And I just started. And then three months later, my mom got sick.
0: The universe is so interesting because you are always going to get hit with those, those curveballs. And I, I want to go back into that relationship thing for a moment because as you were speaking, it made me think. Like I, I consider myself to be an incredibly confident human being. Yeah, I have earned every inch of that. I can <laughs> assure you there. If you saw the list of that I've put myself through For intentionally sure. to grow, like you'd be like, this guy is insane, which is probably accurate. And so I, I went through a, a breakup three years ago that destroyed me, yeah. like I didn't even see it coming, right? And it was one of those things where mutually we, we decided like, yeah, we're, we're not the right fit. And I remember just in my truck, just destroyed. And thinking to myself, many of those thoughts that I hadn't had in years, Because what's really interesting about a relationship, it can, it can rise you. Like, this is a word we're probably going to use a lot today. It can rise you and just like, you have confidence. You feel like you can take on the world. You have a support system. Like you, you, you're protected and promoted as our mutual friend, David talks about. And, and then that, that, like, it was like in a blink of an eye, I was like, should I be a coach? Should I write books? Do I keep making this podcast? Do I go speak on stage? Like, do I just need to go work at yeah. Wendy's again? Yeah. Like, I felt like so crippled by it. And and there's something about that where you have to get inside of yourself and recognize. And like, look, it could be your fault. It could be their fault. Like, somebody's at fault here. Probably both of you because it is a mutual exchange. 100%. And I, and I think to myself, like, sometimes it's just not the right time. Like, that relationship, that thing on another planet in another universe, even though we love these people, tremendously and they love us. Like it's just not right. And we fight that tooth and nail till for some people till death. Right. And you're like, geez, like just do something different. And, and to reflect inside for me was I really just, I remember Grant Cardone told me something one time, so I've shared this on the show before. So guys bear with me. I know I, I won his, some event that he was hosting where we did this pitch for the businesses and like, I won and this is in front of 10,000 people. It's like this huge deal. And I'm like hyped because I'm hype. Like I get hype in that moment. Like that's my favorite thing to do. And he goes, bro, time out. Hold on. Hold on. Just take your flowers. He was just like raining accolades on me. He was like, dude, you're so amazing. No one even came clo- blah, blah, blah. Just take your flowers. And it was like, In that moment, like sitting in my truck, literally bawling, like having one of the worst nights of probably my whole existence, right? That moment, if you've ever had heartbreak, you've had that moment. Hearing his voice go, take your flowers. And then me going, give your flowers to yourself. Like give yourself the thing that you know, that you're, you are who you are, what you've done. And so I'm curious for you, what, what is it that you started to do to rebuild your confidence after that moment?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. Self-reflection, I think, is really key. So for me, I did the opposite of what I think, I don't know, maybe the majority would do. I started to, t- I started to ask myself, where did I go wrong? So in that, in that relationship, where can I take ownership? And like, because like you said, it's, it's always mutual. But sometimes we have so much pain that we can't see it. So what I wanted to ask myself is that I wanted to heal to make sure I didn't do it again. So I did a lot of self-reflection to build my confidence and to understand what happened that I was in that situation. So I don't do it again so that my confidence doesn't get hurt again.
0: What is the it? So I don't do it again.
3: So I don't get into a relationship that I know isn't right for me. Mm. And so for me, you know, um, not a bad he's not a bad person you know he's a great person but i needed to ask myself okay after 1 month what what happened here did i see signs or did i ignore them and i realized that i i did yeah you know i and i realized that this has nothing to do with him or me it has to do with the fact that before we got married i knew in my stomach mm. and the thing that hurts me the most is not that side of things. It's I betrayed myself. So when people ask me, like, do you have any regrets? And I don't have any regrets. Like, great human being. But what I'm not going to do again is betray myself because I knew in my stomach and I kept shutting that part down. And we do that as individuals, you know, because we want love. And again, love is romantic. Love is very different than any kind of love. And I don't buy into this narrative that like, you need to love yourself first. It's like, no, I'm a confident woman. You're a confident man, but we still want love, right? You you still want that part of your life. And I just, I betrayed myself in that moment. And that's what I needed to process so that I can build my confidence again is recognizing what was my part and then what's not my part. Because part of building your confidence is not taking ownership of That doesn't belong to Mm -hmm. you. And so I really sat with myself and I was like, what can I take ownership of? And then what are the things that like, this has nothing to do. This isn't my pain. This has nothing to do with me. Maybe it's that individual's pain or that's individual's trauma that came out. But what's my role and what's my ownership about what just happened? Where my role was, is that for months I knew. And there were things that happened that I was like, "Uh, uh," and I just kept ignoring it. And me going through that self-reflection process, believe it or not, it did help me build my confidence because it helped me recognize what I should take ownership of and what are the things that have really had nothing to do with me.
0: Yeah, that's clarity, right? Yeah. That's, that's the thing that people lack constantly. The, and, and I think there's always something to take away from those moments of self-reflection. And I'm right there with you. I sat in that moment and many moments in my life about things where I was like, That did not go the way I thought it was going to go. I'm not talking about just, I'm just life. Sure. Because life is not always going to go. And I go, I go, what, what did I do to put myself in this situation? How did I show up? And you said something you did not trust your gut. Like that is the, like when I coach people is that, and even if they're just listening to the show, I'm like, this is the number one thing you have to do. Like trust your gut. Yeah. It's never been wrong. Not one time in your whole life. hundred percent. And if you trust your stupid brain, you're in trouble. Because your your brain is setting you up for failure constantly because it doesn't know what's best for you. It only knows what's good for you, right? Yeah. And it keeps you safe. And like getting into that space of reflection, I've often come back into it and I, I will take a pen and a piece of paper. Now I use iPads of I've, I've my technology and I'll, I'll like line down, like I will literally do a pros and cons list, but it's more of like, what did I do? What did they do? What did I ignore? And I, I remember thinking about the day that I decided to get in the relationship with that person and be like, I don't think I want this, but then doing it because there's always still that part where you go, well, I don't know. Yeah. You know, you're always a little nervous. You don't really know. But sure. But my gut was kind of like, I don't know, man. And then you, the signs, yeah. right? they roll out there in front of you. And I think one of the hard parts about this is heartbreak cripples people and it keeps them trapped forever. And people are going to listen to you and I, and they're like, well, good for you guys. Like, I'm glad you figured out what was next. It's like, well, you can too. But I I think a lot of it is recognizing like you aren't a failed relationship. Correct. You, you aren't a business that didn't work. You aren't a loss in your life. You, whatever is, it's, it's over. This is what I figured out one day. I was like, it is over. Like the, the, the four seconds ago is gone. Yeah. I cannot change it. Yes. And I've realized, and and again, this is just my nihilistic point of view in the world, but like, it doesn't actually matter. Like in the scheme of things, like those heartbreaks, they teach you lessons. They help you understand yourself at a depth that you could not understand. Otherwise you want to figure out who you are being a relationship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or start a business.
3: Well, I think you have to ask yourself, what kind of life do you want to live? And for me, I, it's really clear for me that I want to live a life of feeling and being present and being. I heard a speaker one time say, "Commit to dying empty," mm-hmm. meaning that God forbid if I die tomorrow, I have given everything I have emotionally, you know, mentally, physically, and that's the commitment that I've made to myself. So. I'm prepared to get my, key, my teeth kicked in. And I think that we as individuals, we have to decide, do we want to live a life where we're guarded and we're afraid to love and we're afraid to build a business and we're afraid to build something that feels great for us because we're scared? Or do we want to build a life where we're going to commit to dying empty even if we get our teeth kicked in? And I've just decided to go that way. So for me, even now, like I'll take risk. When it comes to communicating, when it comes to love, when it comes to business, because I would rather just do it and fail than not do it. And God forbid, you know, my whole thing is, is that I want to know that if I don't wake up tomorrow, I've expressed myself completely, I've given everything I have completely, and I really like lived to the edge of who I am. That's that's a non-negotiable for me. And I feel sad when I see people that are like, oh, I like them, but what if, or I really want to build this business, but what if, and it's like, I just, that feels like a life of being trapped. Mm. And I just can't, I can't live that way. And I think that as individuals, we need to make the decision. Well, how do you want to live your life? And again, I've chosen to live my life where if I get my teeth kicked in, cool, like, yeah. that's what it's going to be.
0: Anyone who's listened to this show more than one time knows my, my motto and what I try (laughs) to instill in them is this question. What am I willing to do to have the life that I want to have? And if the answer is anything less than no excuses, just results, like you're in trouble. You're not going to get your dreams. You're not going to get the relationship. You're not going to get the body because we love to negotiate with ourselves. i know this is going to sound absolutely insane but when i was 26 and i'm starting in this journey i realized i o- only ever let myself down yeah constantly and one day it probably was just because i love war movies and i'm into like ca spy and like <laughs> i'm watching homeland and uh i was just looking at myself in the mirror and i was like i call myself a terrorist I know this is crazy, but in the movies, people, the guys are like, we don't negotiate with terrorists. And I was like, I have to stop negotiating with myself. I have to stop allowing myself to get in my own way. I have to stop allowing
1: myself.
0: self to let myself down yeah and you talked about that like that is such an intrinsic part of us i know that's a weird spin for me we like talk to go ourselves down out that. of things okay so that's what i want to get into like how do like you don't negotiate with yourself no but you have yeah. your f- human being yeah for me it was like i needed a really high extreme you know because i come from this background where My mother cut my finger off when I'm four years old. I'm a drug addict when I'm 12. I need extremes to like get my like this boulder is gigantic, right? How do you stop negotiating with yourself?
3: I think for me, it's really grown with my intuition. Like we've talked about, if I feel something and I'm excited about something and it's prolonged more than a day, more than two days, more than a week, uh, I don't think about it. You know, the best things that have ever happened for me, uh, we're,
0: decision we're
3: just like on a whim mm. you know because if you don't take action you talk yourself out of things right and i know you understand this because of the coaching space as well and that's why anyone that's listening if you've ever done coaching or interested in it that's why coaches say like make a decision today work with me in the next 24 hours and we can move forward because if you don't you're going to spend the next couple of days in the next week being like oh should i should i not should yep. i do this should i not so for me If I have a feeling that's prolonged, like I don't talk myself out of it. I'm like, done. It's going to happen. That's what happened with my business. After a couple of days, I was still thinking about Rise it For You. And I'm like, I'm doing this. That's it. Done. And I never looked back. Same thing when I moved um, out of state and I came to Vegas by myself. I was like, I had that feeling. And I was like, done. I'm moving to Vegas, you know, and I just I just did it. And I won't allow myself to talk myself out of it because that's where you get in trouble. And that's where you're like, but what if and what if, if something feels good for you, if initially something feels good and great for you, just do it. Yeah, but, you'll, f- you'll figure it all but out. But hold
0: on. You don't understand. Every time I do that, I fuck up.
3: You'll figure it out. Marie Folio always says everything is figure figureoutable. Yeah. And like, that's part of the process, though. It's like, it's okay to be afraid of messing up and failing. What's not okay is to let that fear sabotage you from moving forward. And I think that is what we don't, that's what we're, we're missing in today's world is that there's this concept of like, I can't be afraid or I can't have negative thoughts. And that's, that's not realistic. We're all human beings. I'm afraid all the time. Same. All the time. All the time. That's like crazy. I have fear. I have negative thoughts. And so we need to normalize that. Like, it's okay for you to be afraid. It's okay for you to have negative thoughts. I have crap in my head all the time. But what I've understood is, am I going to let that dictate my actions, right? Beliefs drive behaviors. And I don't want it to drive my behaviors in a way that's going to hinder and sabotage me. So I feel the fear, you know, I have negative thoughts, but then I counter myself and I say, okay, it's, you're okay. It's okay that you have fear. But do you want to stay stuck or do you just want to try and go for it? And what's the worst that happens? I always ask myself that question. What's the worst that happens? And is it really the worst thing that can happen to you? You know, and for somebody that's had divorce, that's had loss, you can understand this and appreciate you've been a lot through a lot in your life. What's the worst thing that can happen? And is it the worst thing that can happen to you?
0: Yeah. The worst thing that can, this is my opinion only, the worst thing that can happen to you is you die. That's it. Anything shy of that, there is a solution. Hundred percent. You can find your way through it. You know, and I—I I think that's what's so interesting. It's there. There is an unlimited number of possibility in the world. Yes. Now, look, physics apply. You can't be the first person to try to breathe in outer space. Like that ain't going to happen, sure. right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like. Like, Mm -hmm. let's be, because people, somebody's challenging me right now. They're going to email me and be like, what about this? Shut up. It's stupid. (laughs) Like, let's keep it within the laws of physics, right? And reality. But no matter where you're at, whether it's you have hit rock bottom in your business, your relationship, your health, your wealth, your physical being, like whatever it is, there's a solution in here somewhere. Yes, I'm not saying it's happening overnight. Like, I look at so many of the transformations in my life and it's like decades of work. Yeah. Right. I mean, I've been doing therapy and my own personal coaching and mentorship for 13 years. And I, and I honestly just now feel like I've taken like a step forward, right? Moving past all of the limitations and people like, yeah, but you've been on billboards in New York city and you've written best-selling books. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand like every day, like the grinding through the, you know, what's better than doing all that other getting stoned and playing video games.
3: And you weren't there, right? Like you didn't start there. No, you know, we didn't you know, build a business and then overnight be on billboards and get clients and so on and so forth. Like we started from scratch. And I think that is something to really know and for people to hear is like, we started from scratch. And if we can start from scratch, you can too. But you gotta, you gotta manage the fear so that it doesn't cripple you. Otherwise, it's going to be five years from now and you're going to be in the same place. It's going to be 10 years from now. You're going to be in the same place. And then that's when we build resentment in our life because we never actually just did.
0: The One of the most heartbreaking things for me about the human experience is knowing realistically for some people, it's going to take 25 years to do something that takes 10 minutes. And like that to me is so devastating because it's like you you have so much life in front of you, but we get so stuck in it, so trapped in it. And And I think the thing that's missing for people is recognizing like their support out here, you know, and and so I'm wondering for you, as you were going through, anytime you're building something, like it is so hard. Building a business is almost impossible, right? Dealing with death, almost impossible. Divorce, almost impossible. Yeah. What were the mechanisms that you had in your life for support, for growth, for, you know, reconciliation, for all the things that have started to pave the path that you are now on? Like what would day what was day one like?
3: For me, it was it was community and mentorship. And I had I had two. I had direct and indirect. So direct, you know, mentorship and counsel were like people in my life, like my cousins, my brothers that we could lean on that we can support one another that were my cheerleaders, okay? And then indirect mentor was like podcast and going to conferences and hearing people speak and understanding that there's possibility and watching these people do it and hearing their stories. And when you're able to have both sides of the mentorship, you can understand that, okay, wow, they struggle too. I'm not alone in the process of life. That's the one thing about life is it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care who you are. You're going to have death. You're going to have heartbreak. You're going to have struggle. Like they don't, it doesn't care who you are. And so having that mentorship was really important for me. And that's, you know, honestly, I remember when I first came back, I listened to a podcast, which at the time was called The Art of Charm. Mm. Okay.
0: Yeah. Jordan Harbinger. Jordan Harbinger. He's been on the show.
3: Yes. Oh, I love that guy. He's awesome. And I just happened to listen to the podcast that day when I came back that was him and a guy named Cole Hatter. Oh yeah, So some people, yeah. yeah. And Cole Hatter was talking about his experience and talking about how, you know, make money matter. Like build, build something where you can still do great in the world, right? Like nonprofits, you can still make an impact, but you can still make money and build a life that feels good, right? And that you're proud of. And it was just that one podcast that I thought, wow, that's really awesome. And then they had a conference and I was like, I'm going to go to that conference. And I'll tell you within a matter of a week, I listened to the podcast. I went to the conference. I saw Cole on stage. I saw Jordan Harbinger on stage. And I just did. I was like, all right, we can make this happen. And they were my mentors and they didn't even know, but they were my mentors indirectly along with my family directly who were supporting me. And uh, obviously they were more close to me and what was happening. But I was also getting a lot of like coaching and guidance in that way. And then I remember a year later, I sat by Jordan Harbinger and Cole. I was like, hey, I got to tell you this story. <laughs> and they were like, really? I'm like, yeah. So I, that's really what helped me. Mm. And also self-compassion. Self-compassion and allowing myself to process. So I let myself process, but I didn't let myself stay there long. So there would be days where, you know, I felt really sad and I was like, okay, take an hour to yourself, take two hours, go watch a movie, go for a walk. And then like, let's jump back in. And then the next day, same thing. Okay. Take an hour, take a couple hours. Let's jump back in. So I allowed myself to feel, but I was really intentional about not letting it cripple me.
0: One of my hopes with this podcast now over five years, 700 episodes, interviewing amazing people like you awesome, is like... I hope this can be that for somebody, yeah. that Jordan Harbinger moment, Mm -hmm. right? And the reason that I hope that is because, and everyone knows this, like I love podcasts, like it's been so transformational for me, like, because I I realized one day what it is about shows like this is I didn't have a mentor growing up. Like my mentors were in in some sense, right? My mentors were the streets. It was drug dealers. It was Jay-Z. It was, you know, guys who treated women like And what did my life look like that in my 20s? And I was like, wait a second. Maybe there's another way, right? Maybe there's something here that I'm missing. And so when I sit down and I listen, it's I'm studious about it. Like it's insane. I, I listen and consume podcasts. Like people watch television shows. Me too. Like, I don't even know what's on TV.
3: Me neither. I don't have cable. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, nobody has fucking cable. All right, they don't. But you, my, can't my just, you can't just say like that. drives When people say that, I'm like, no one has table. Any, but anyway, <laughs> but but my my thing, my point in saying that is, you don't know what impact something's going to have until you do something with it. You you had all the information. Th- this is where I'm going with this. We have so much. In, we yeah. live in the information society. Yeah, There are so you can go find out how to do everything. Oh my God. From bacon cookies to like starting a fortune 100 company. Yep. You can go find it all on YouTube, on podcasts, on the internet, blah, 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 blah. It's all there. But the thing that's missing in all of that is the action. How do you, when you're in that moment, so you have a choice to make, right? You said you make decisions very quickly. I do too. I have learned through business, through life, through investing, through Whatever, whether it's like, I'm going to go roll jujitsu today. It's like that decision is made in a moment and I just do it.
3: Yeah, me too.
0: How the hell do you do it? Because for me, it is about, again, to your point, trusting your gut. But then further, it's like, I don't want to wonder what would have happened if I would have.
3: It's confidence. It is. It's confidence because behave- beliefs drive behaviors. And so I know how somebody feels about themselves just by the way they behave with me, right? If they shake my hand, if they look me in the eye, even the verbiage that they use when they talk to me. And so I think a big part, I mean, it's exactly what you said. I see this every day when I work and talk with professionals, people that have PhDs, master's degrees, bachelor's, a ton of certifications, everything they need to succeed. And yet they still don't take action because they feel like they still need more. Mm. And it's like, no, no, no. You have everything you need except the belief in you, except the belief in you. And that is the biggest challenge is that you can have all the degrees in the world. But if you don't have the belief to take action, if you don't have the belief to have positive behaviors that are going to lead you to success, all of your knowledge, it's mundane. It doesn't matter. It's not going to do anything. It's just going to sit on the shelf. And so that's why I always say that it's really important that you got to have both. You know, like it's great to go to school and get all these degrees or certificates, but you have to believe in yourself as well. Otherwise, nothing is going to happen and you're not going to take action. So I think it really starts with the belief system and reprogramming yourself to rebuild confidence. Confidence can be built. Yes. A belief in yourself, you know, neuroscientists talk about this all the time. We can reframe our thoughts so that we, can move forward so that they serve us instead of sabotage us. But that's what we got to work on. I mean, my team and I asked thousands of working professionals last year, not hundreds, thousands, what their number one challenge was 83% said Mm self-confidence. That's big, 83%. Now, I always say that that's the greatest tragedy today. That's the pandemic, is people around the world that don't feel enough, even though they have what they need. They just don't feel enough, and I think that that's what we have to work on: is get to a place where you do feel enough, and you're not identified. You're not identified by accolades and your job title and your degrees, so that when you do fail, you're not identified by that. It's just research, right? And I've, I talk about this when I speak. It's like scientists—they fail all the time, and when they fail, it's just research. It's research. Towards the solution. It's research of understanding what works and what doesn't work. You're not defined by it. You are not a failure that failed, not you, right? And we have a tendency as human beings to do that, right? Instead of saying, you know, you know, I'm unhappy. It's like, I'm unhappy in this moment. I'm not an unhappy person, but maybe in this moment, right? It's the same thing with failure. I'm not a failure, but maybe that failed, right? But we as individuals, we don't allow ourselves to do that. So we become defined by these things. And then that's what prevents us from taking action. So we have everything that we need, but we don't take action because we're afraid if it doesn't work, then we're not going to be good enough. If somebody says something to us, we're not going to be perfect. If it doesn't do what we need it to do, then people are going to judge us. And that's what we need to shift in our mind. And we won't be able to move forward until we shift that in our mind.
0: What is the biggest shift for you in your mindset, your thought process, in your self-belief that if you wouldn't have shifted, would probably still have you trapped?
3: Understanding that your thoughts are just thoughts, right? So you have your thoughts, but they don't necessarily have to be a belief. And I think that as individuals, we get those two confused. Like I said, I have a lot of negative thoughts, like every person. Right, most of our thoughts are negative. I have a lot of negative thoughts, and I have self talk that's not positive. But I don't allow that to become a belief, because when it becomes a belief, like I said, then it drives your behaviors. So, and that's what I realize is like, oh, I can have these thoughts without subscribing to them, right? I can have negative thoughts without like making it like my testament. Mm. And I think that that's what's really important is for people to realize like. I'm having a negative thought right now, but do I need to believe it? Do I need to believe it and subscribe to it? Because the second you do, now it's gonna it's gonna deter your action. And that's the biggest thing for me. I read a book by Eckhart Tolle called The New Earth. I don't know if you've read it.
1: Mm-hmm. It's freaking Saw game. My bookshelf. Yeah,
3: it was a game changer for me. It's realizing that like these are just thoughts. And your thoughts don't have to drive you.
0: Was there one particular that you had to let go of?
3: Well, there's a lot that I had to let go of, but um, like right off the bat, something like I can't think of something right this second. But I think that something that I have to constantly tell myself. See, it's interesting because people have negative beliefs, right? We all do, but sometimes some people have them in different areas. I don't have a lot of negative beliefs when it comes to like business and like showing up. But what I do struggle with is like body image. Right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people wouldn't think that. So that's where I have to make my shift. That's where I have to do the most work of not being defined by how I look physically. That's where a lot of my work takes place. And I, for a long time, I was like, why do I have these thoughts about like how I look and like the number on the scale? And it took me years to realize that, oh, my backstory, my backstory is that I had an amazing, beautiful mom who was a model. And that was her backstory. Right. Like that was her fixation. And so that's a thought that I had to spend a lot of time breaking down is do I need to look at the scale every single day, five days a week? You know, if I gain a little bit of weight, does it define like who I am as a woman? I would say like right off the bat, that's the thing where I had to do the most work.
0: Yeah, that's powerful. I had a a client that I was coaching. And of course, I won't say details, but, you know, they were they were literally trapped by that scale. Mm hmm. And as a man who was trapped by something we don't talk about enough, especially as like men face this as well. And, you know, I, I was able to work with him and get him to the point where throwing it away was the most, arguably the hardest thing he had ever done. Yeah. Right. Because it was like, that number was the measurement for his worth, for his validity, for his power and prowess in the world. And it's like, doesn't matter. Yeah. Most people don't give a. Right. And if they do, you're hanging around the wrong people anyway. Yeah. And and that's that's about stepping into that freedom, right? It's about closing that gap between you and your potential because that thing is in your way. Yeah. You know, there there's so many things in my way in my life all the time, constantly. And I'm just like, what do I have to do to get that away from me? Close that gap. And I look at this life as transition. I love the subtitle of your book because I, I think about life very simple in this scope. Here I am today this version of Michael and this moment with you having this conversation. And then over here is this version of me that I'm moving towards this yeah. ideal of the person that I want to be. Well, in between those two things is the gap.
3: Yeah, 100%. And
0: I'm always like, well, how the f- do you close this? What does it take? Who do I have to become? What what limiting beliefs do I have to let go of? What actions do I have to take? What goals do I need to set? What clarity do I need to have? And then most importantly, it's like what mistakes must transpire? because I don't know about you but I only actually learn the hard way and so if I'm not learning through taking action I don't learn anything. Yeah. And and this word that you use in this subtitle I think is really important too, potential. I think people quit before they even put on their f- shoes. Yeah. Explain this. Like talk us through closing the gap between you and your potential.
3: And that's the beautiful thing is is that it's not about reaching your full potential because what is full potential? I have no idea. Yeah, and and how do you know when you get there? I don't know. Right? But it's about continuously pushing yourself and doing hard things that stretch you. Right? It's about it's about doing what feels good for you and not blocking you, right? So if you want to if you want to go ask that girl or guy out, do it. If you want to have a hard conversation, do it. And when I talk about potential, I'm not just talking about in your career. It's not limited to building your business. You know, pushing your potential is stretching yourself when things feel really uncomfortable. It's having that uncomfortable conversation with the person that you needed to have that uncomfortable conversation with, right? That's also stretching your potential. And it's not about full potential because do we ever reach it? You know, I don't know. I think we get to a place where we feel great and then we're like, okay, what's the next step? Um, But I think it takes consistency and it takes commitment. It takes, uh, John Assaraf said this, and I love it when he said it, it just hit me. Are you interested or are you committed? Mm -hmm. Are you interested or are you committed? So you got to decide, are you just interested in growing? Or are you committed to growing and being a better person so that you can build a life that you feel great about, that you're proud of? And I think that's what potential is about. It's every day stretching yourself and doing hard things, even if you don't want to do them, because you know that it's going to set you up for success.
0: And I think to add more to that, and I think this is not talked about enough, is like, maybe you just don't want it. Maybe you just don't want it. And you think you do, or you've convinced yourself that you do, or your mom said you should, or the community did, or the indoctrination from your childhood, depending on your background, you've convinced yourself of something that you do not want. And I think that that is one of the things that you really have. Some people don't want personal development. Some people want to go home and eat the gummy bears and play video games.
3: Yeah, totally.
0: Respect. Respect. (laughs) I'm not mad at you. Like, if you're good with, cool, cool. But if you're like, this isn't enough for me. I believe you have a moral obligation to yourself, to your community, your family, your church, your, 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 your potential legacy, even though no, one's going to remember you in a hundred years. So it doesn't really actually matter, but it's like in this moment right now, this is life, what is happening, not, not what happened, not what will happen, but right now, and, and I, I, I feel so much sympathy for people who. Are living lives that are not the lives that they want. Because we can sit and talk about like growth and creating these movements and writing the books and speaking and say, but that's what we want. Right? The only thing I ever want for people is what they want. Like yeah. I don't you should not give a f about my dreams. Yeah. Between you and I, I don't care about your dreams. Mm-hmm. I want to support you. I want you to grow. I will connect you to every person on planet Earth that I know if it helps you go up that mountaintop. But at the end of the day, I don't gotta do it. Yeah. And I think that's where people get caught up, especially in this personal development conversation, because it's so, so hype right now. Right. It's like, everybody's a coach and everybody is like, do this, do that. And I'm like, at the end of the day, if you're happy, you already won the game. Yeah. Right. Gary V talks about that. I'm, I met Gary, God, like 10 years ago. And that dude changed my life because he was like, if you're happy, you win the game. And I realized like when I started this getting deep into this, I was like, I am not happy. So where do I need to go? And that was towards potential. I didn't know this would transpire. Yeah. But I just knew it had to be different than getting high all day, weighing 350 pounds and drinking myself to sleep every
1: night.
3: Yeah. But the challenge is, is that most individuals aren't happy. And we know this from research. You know, we know this from like the World Happiness Report, for example. We're like number 19 and we're a first world country. That's that's pretty bad.
0: Why do you so obviously have the report data, but why do you think people aren't happy?
3: Yeah, I I mean, 76% of the population, even today, are disengaged or unhappy in their work. And I think it's because exactly what you're saying is that people haven't taken the time to figure out what do they want. Mm. And so there's two two aspects to this. They haven't taken the time to figure out what do they want, what feels good to them. And the second aspect is if they have figured it out, do they have the courage to live by that, Mm. right? And so there's a lot of individuals, like you said, that are doing what they think they should do, that are doing what they see on social media, that are trying to get to this certain place. And then they get there and they're like, "Eh, it doesn't really make me happy. And then they keep chasing and then they get to another place and they're like, that doesn't make me happy either. And then they keep chasing and they keep chasing. And before they know it, their life is over because they constantly chase something without asking themselves, what is it that I actually want? And most individuals don't just sit down and say, what do I want? What's important to me? And now, do I have the courage to make that happen? And that's what we're seeing today. I mean, you know, I ask people, you know, what do you want in your life? Well, I don't know. Well, well, then what are you doing? Like, how are you applying for jobs? Well, I'm, you know, I'm just applying for jobs so that I can, like, pay my rent. Like, that's not a sustainable way to live but what do you want, right? And then once you figure out what you want, do you have the courage to make that happen? And again, that's where the confidence piece comes in. That's something that I got really clear on when my parents passed away. I was like, what is it that I want in my life? I want freedom. I want flexibility. I want to make an impact. Uh, One day I want to have a family. And when I have a family, I'll be, if I let anybody tell me that I only have like three weeks maternity leave, but like I got really clear on what I wanted. You have to. So I was like, so then what is that? I love to travel. You know, I don't want to be stuck where I can't travel. So what does that look like? Well, okay, well, maybe entrepreneurship is the game for me, right? And I always told myself, I'm going to try this. And if at any point it doesn't feel, and I always say this to my clients as well, if at any point this doesn't feel good for you, like, don't be afraid to change. Yeah, 100%. You know, but thankfully for me, it it feels great for me and it's working for me and it's awesome. But I have an older brother who's also really great at entrepreneurship, but he doesn't want to, he's like, no, I like corporate. He's really clear. He's like, I love the corporate space. I could be an entrepreneur, but I don't want to be because I know what I want. And he's like, I really like being in corporate. I like working with CEOs above me and like hearing their thought process. He's really clear on what he wants. And that's what he does. And, but he's taken the time to ask himself, like, what do I like and what do I want? And he's walked that path. And I think that's fantastic. But not enough people are doing that. And it's interesting because, you know, even when I work with my executive clients, I ask them, who are you and what do you want? You would be shocked or maybe you wouldn't. Every single client that I've ever had, which is a lot, have always said, I don't know who I am and I don't know what I want. I need to get back to you. I'm like, well, who are you? "Uh, I'm an executive. No, but who are you? Uh, my mom. No, no, no. Who are you? I don't know. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they want, and so they're living this life that isn't really theirs. And that's why so many people are not in alignment. And they got to figure out what they want and what's important to them, and then they have to have the confidence and the courage to live that life.
0: Yeah, confidence is everything. Courage is everything. Everything. We all start at zero. I mean, there's no way around it. You are going to suck. And then you're going to suck some more and then you're going to suck some less and then you'll be good and then you'll be proficient. Then you'll be great. And then one day, maybe you're the greatest of all time, but you're going to be really bad at the beginning.
3: Yeah.
0: And you have to have like courage is such an important word. Like I, I try to, I try to not leverage it in a negative way with people I interact with in the world, especially who are in my inner circle. Sure. But if you don't have a bit of courage, I can't let you in the door. Because like we're going places and I might be like, yo, I need to challenge you and I need you because you have courage and you've been in that place to challenge me and to say, look, we can do this right and have the right support system, have the right community. And, and, and it's really it like courage is such a difficult word because people go, well, what's courageous. I mean, like, honestly, sometimes courage is like getting the second job to take care of your
3: kids. Yeah.
0: 100%. You know, it's getting off of welfare, blaming other people. And I'm speaking to this like, I don't have kids. I can't ever sit here and say I know what that's like, sure. but I get a look at it through the scope of people who have some of the closest people in my life have done what it takes to get it done. Yeah. And I think that's the cornerstone. And when and when people say that they don't know who they are, I always start with like, well, what are your values? What do you what represent? Are your values? Most people have no idea what no their values idea. are. And that's where I start all of my coaching. No matter what, if you're in entrepreneurship coaching, executive coaching, mental health coaching. Yeah,
3: me too, exactly. Starts at
0: values. Yeah. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And and that feels like almost insurmountable because we live in this world where there's not enough onus put on the importance of this. Yeah. It's like you have to create you. When there's a there's a line in Think Unbroken my first book. It says create you. That's it. You have to make this. I like. I'm all about the manifestation. Like close yeah. your eyes, visualize, put that shit in the universe. Now go do it.
3: Yeah, hundred percent. Ma-
0: manifestation is only about drafting up a game plan.
3: Yes. Yeah. There's gotta be energy and there has to be action towards it as well. And um, you can't just ma- you know, you can't just sit and like think positive. You also have to ask yourself, what do I have to do to like create this energy to move it forward as well? Um, and that's important, you know. But you're totally right about the values thing. I mean, we even see this in companies. It's like What are your values? They have high employee turnover. Well, what are your values? Well, we don't really know. I'm like, well, how can you expect your employees to be clear? How do you expect your employees to show up and be the best employee they can be if you don't know what your values are? Because they don't know how to show up. They don't know how to show up for the company. And it's the same thing with individuals. You know, What are your values? And then again, having the courage to live by those values, right? My top value is, my top two values are me, God, and me. God's number one, and I'm number two. People are like, those are your top two. I'm like, yeah, I have more, but those are my top two. Why? Because I understand that if I want to make an impact in the world, which is a value of mine, and I want to be a great wife and a great sister and a great whatever and a great business owner, I got to take care of me. That values are non-negotiable. So now I have the courage to take care of me. When people call me at 6 a.m. for work and for coaching, I don't pick up. When clients are like, I need to get you on the phone. I'm like, no, it's not, during, it's not during my work hours because I'm a top value. And when I make myself a top value, now I'm my best for you. But people don't have the courage to do that. I mean, if you were to ask somebody, what are your top three values? Most individuals will say like my family, my health, right? They'll, they'll say, these are my values. These are th- things that are important to me. Kindness, uh, loving the people in my life. But then if you were to say, Well, what does the majority of your time go to in the week? Most of the time, it's not towards those top three values. Mm -hmm. You see, there's a misalignment there. And again, coming back to that courage of being able to say, these are the things that are important to me. And now I'm going to have the courage to implement those things in my life so that I feel good about what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis.
0: And the most difficult part about what you said is that the people around you are going to point it out to you. Oh, yeah. When, when, when I sat down, my values have been like the same for basically a decade, honesty, kindness, leadership, self-actualization, mm-hmm. no excuses. Yep. Honesty is number one. I will tell you the f- you know, me, I tell the fucking truth as much as humanly possible. <laughs> I am fallible, yeah. but I do my best. Okay. When I started doing that, when I stepped into those values, when I leveraged that system, when I put this in place, you might as well thought I let off a nuclear bomb in my life. Because the people that started to f- go away were my best friends. The people I'd done everything with. Because I stood in front of them and I said, Th- this is the person I'm becoming. I know you really love that old version of me. Well, I didn't. That version sucked. That person was f- horrid. Yeah. I do not want to be that. And so I think about darkness in this sometimes. And the power of that dark energy. And sometimes you need it. Sometimes you need to leverage that a little bit to go, I am sick of myself. I'm disgusted with my, I am done putting up with me. And in the same way you put you first, God, then you, right? If, if you are not good with you, you will find a way to make it happen because you has become a
3: value. 100%.
0: And, and I try to tell people all the time, you are the most important person in the room always, all the time. And that is not a selfish thing. That is a self-care thing. I cannot in what we do in helping people and, and at least I try my best, I cannot do anything for them if I don't do something for me first yes and and that's that's the old airplane analogy we beat that thing with a dead horse to, but you know at the end of the day, but like it's, it's true. true
3: it's true, and it's um it's more than true, but you know, this goes back to you know, we can talk about this for a long time, is that everything that you and I are saying. People understand, but what really needs to happen is make the shift from just hearing it and understanding it to living it Mm. and implementing it, you know, and people know like, okay, I got to put myself first, but are they taking the steps to say, okay, how am I going to put myself first? When somebody calls on the weekend and says, I need you to do this and have this meeting, but you're spending time with your family. Do you have the courage to say I can't this weekend I'm with my family and that's important or are you breaking that violation and that boundary mm-hmm. you know and that's that's the thing that I know for me is really important to like again crack that code is how do we get people to hear what we're saying but then embody what we're saying and take little action steps even if it's one step yes one little action step to actually see the change. That's my stomach that's growling there. <laughs> to actually to actually make the shift and make the change. And you're right. People are going to put you down and they're going to tell you all these things. I mean, I work out every day and I have friends that are like, you're sick. I'm like, why? I work out every day. Like, what's wrong with that? Right? But in their mind, it's like, it's crazy that I work out every day. Right? But for other people, it's like, that's good for you. You work out every day. But again, it's that you're going to hear that monkey chatter from people because... It's easier for people to critique other people than it is for them to make a shift in themselves.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's the story of life. I mean, he without judgment, mm-hmm. right? And and I think that if you can put yourself in a position of just being entirely okay with knowing that the moment you choose you, everyone else is going to be pissed off at you, your life will be very different. Yeah. My friend, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you. Thank you you for being here. Thank you for the insight. Um, Before I ask you my last question, Mm -hmm. please tell everyone where they can find you.
3: Thank you. I appreciate it. This has been a great conversation, probably one of the deepest ones that I've had in a long time, especially with my mom. But you can check me out. RiseUpForYou.com is the website. Um, And the handle is at RiseUpForYou. You You can also connect with me, Netalina Nassardine. You know, I'm all over the website and social media, but definitely check out the website. We have a bunch of free stuff there for people to grab access to, especially with confidence. Mm. Connect with me on Instagram, LinkedIn. Would love to to connect with you and talk more.
0: Yeah, And of course, if you guys go to thinkunbrokenpodcast.com, you will find all the information in the show notes for this episode. My friend, my last question for you. What does it mean to you to be unbroken?
3: Unbroken to me? means using your pain as fuel for growth and not being stuck in the pain and the adversity that you've gone through. It's realizing that everybody is broken. Everyone has gone through pain. Everyone has gone through trauma, but recognizing that that doesn't define you. Your trauma is not you. It's a part of you. And how can you make that and use it to make an impact in the world and to create shift in the world?
0: Beautifully said. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Unbroken Nation, thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, share, tell a friend, follow us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And remember, every time that you share this episode, you're helping us end generational trauma, helping others transform trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs and giving them, as well as yourself, the tools to be the hero of your own story. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. I'll see you. Thank you so much for listening to Think Unbroken Unbroken. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program.
1: When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears
2: as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing
3: effects of prickly pear chocolate.